I was thinking about, uh, like, you know, they, Pastor Sheila and Pastor Bruce said, we want you to share a few things. And I was like, Lord, what, what should I share? And, and talking to the Lord about it and um, thinking about the graduates and, and where they're at and, and, and things like that and, and what it was like when I graduated, which uh, feels like so far ago. But um, it, it wasn't too long ago, but it was uh, enough that it's, you know, you kind of have to think back. And I was thinking about, you know, it's like a stepping stone and that life is kind of like we're going through different steps. And, and so we're almost at this one spot, but then we're taking the next step. And sometimes there's a momentous occasion, like I graduated and people give you things and they celebrate you. And then there's other times where all of a sudden you just have a moment and you're like, whoa, what just happened? Like you didn't plan for that. That thing just happened. It could be all of a sudden maybe uh, uh, someone passed away. It could be so- all of a sudden you got a new job. It could be all of a sudden you maybe you lost your job. All of a sudden there's a different step that, you're, that you have just been pushed onto. You know, and sometimes we can prepare for those steps and sometimes we can't. And so I was, I was praying and I was talking to the Lord about, about our journey. And I was, you know, journey, I was thinking, as soon as I said, thought journey, I, I know Alvin was thinking, you know, like the band Journey. And so I was like, no, nah, no, you know, man, that's, that's an 80s band, if you didn't know that, guys. Um, so, uh, so, but I was thinking about that and I was like, you know, like we're on a journey. We're taking steps through life. And the, the thought or the, the heart, that came up and I was like, Lord, who's an example? Who can I turn to? Who can I look to that, that said, that took different steps, but each step you were with them, each step you were showing them. And even when they made a mistake, you were right there. And so I was, I was talking to the Lord about that. And the, the thing that kept coming up over and over that I wanted to share was some keys to being successful, some keys or some, some steps that are, that are going to help us to walk in success. And I was, um, as I began to prepare and think about it, the scripture that came to mind was Proverbs uh, 37.4. Proverbs 37.4. And it says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And I was like, oh, that's good. And I was like, Lord, you've got to say more about the steps. You've got to talk to us more about the next step, right? You know, he's got more for us, right? And so the next scripture that came up was in Matthew, where Jesus is talking about the path. Literally, he says the path. And he talks about that the narrow is the gate and wide is the path. But if you go on to read that scripture, it says wide is the path to destruction. So in other words, there is a certain path that we're supposed to be on. It's not just... Well, okay, well, we're just going through life. Ah, okay, I mean, you, yeah, we can do that. That does happen. And I was thinking about sometimes we're taking steps, and whether we realize it or not, sometimes we actually are taking steps backwards. Because, see, life is turning. Life is going on. And if we just stand here, life will pass us by. See, see, by default, we technically, by default, we lose. Y'all get what I'm saying, church? If we do nothing, we do not get anything. Y'all, y'all, the, the condition of Adam, the condition of sin is prevalent. See, if we want change in our life, if we want to get to our goals, to our dreams, to what God has for us, come on, church, I've got to go from here to there. You get, you're getting what I'm getting at, okay? You can't just stay here, right? 
It may seem comfortable. It may, well, oh, I don't want to have to step. No, I've got to take a step. I've got to make, make a move. And so the Lord began to show me that. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it actually says that there is an opportune time for something. There's an opportune time to do the right thing. It's not just, oh, well, we'll just do it when we want to. No, no, there's a specific, specific, uh, uh, uh. y'all know what I'm saying. <laughs> specific. There's a specific time. Come on, church. You, there's a specific time, right? And so I began to ask the Lord. I said, Lord, who, who, you know, give me an example. And the Lord reminded me of a man after God's own heart. He reminded me of a man, a ruddy man. A young man, a bearded man. I like to vision him as a bearded man. Um, I don't know, it just speaks to me. Mustaches and beards speak to me. Okay? Um, no, seriously. And so I was like, oh, Lord. And so he reminded me of David, King David. And so we find David in, in 1 Samuel. But when we actually find David, the prophet's not even looking for him. See, that's the interesting thing about David. David was taking steps towards God when nobody else noticed. Y'all get what I'm getting at, church? David was the young man in the field. He was the young man. He was the shepherd boy. He was the young man out in the field watching the sheep. He wasn't his oldest brother. He wasn't the second oldest. No, he was the youngest. He was what we would define as the, the runt of the litter, okay? But God picked David. What about David? What about David was it the Lord saw in David? What about David? And so I was praying and talking to the Lord about this. And the Lord reminded me of this first key point, And that was is that David surrounded himself with him. David surrounded himself with him. David spent time in the field. The Bible actually talks about David played a harp. I wish I had a harp up here I could play for you guys this morning. I'd be like, ring. That's like the sound of a harp. If, sometimes your cell phone will make that sound right in the middle of church. Don't act like y'all ever heard that sound. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay, that ring. Okay, that's a harp. It's like a guitar but bigger. Okay, come on, church. All right, we should bring back the harp. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but David would play a harp. He was so good at it, now church, that he would go and he would play it actually before the king. But, but, but long before David became before kings, David was playing the harp in the field. David played in the wilderness. David's identity, David's home was found in his presence, church. Your identity, your home. And so the key, the first key to success, the first key to getting from step A to step B is you've got to surround yourself with him. You've got to surround yourself with him. And I look, I love worship. We worship like, I mean, we were, man, we were getting after it this morning. Come on now. All right? And that's awesome. That's great. But it doesn't say David had a full, full band. It doesn't say that about David. David was in the field. He had some sheep that made one sound. That, this is his backup singers. His backup singers went, bah. Okay, I don't know about you, but those are probably not the best backup singers. Okay, that's not what we're looking for. You know what I'm saying? All right. Now you're probably thinking, well, Michael, I don't. You know, I don't. I'm not the greatest singer, so you're asking me to worship God. Listen, church, I sing solo. 
so low nobody can hear. Y'all know what I'm saying? That's why I'm in the back. I make it sound good. I, if you're wondering why it don't sound right, that's me. That, I do that. I don't like the, you know, oh, I can't hit a key. I know when it's off, but I can't hit a key if you paid me to. I can't do it. You say, well, uh, see, I, I love this scripture. The, the Bible says, make a joyful noise. See, see I, just, I just tune in on that. I just make a little, hey, you know what I'm saying? That's what, that's what the Lord's looking for. He, he's not looking, oh, well, you got to be perfect and on pitch. No, come on. I just make a little noise. I, I like the other scripture. His grace is sufficient. So, like, when I sing, I believe his grace is, like, making it sufficient. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm like, but, but church, you got to make a little noise sometimes. See, you're going to be in a circumstance or you're going to be in a situation. When you're taking a step, you may be all by yourself. See, you can't wait for the choir and the quartet. You've got you've to choose to worship him. Hey, no matter what. Hey, I'm going to give him glory. Hey, no matter what. And, and if you can't, maybe you're like, I was thinking about Eeyore. Y'all know who Eeyore is, right? All right. From Winnie the Pooh. He, I think he's a donkey. The, the other day I was thinking he was an elephant, and I realized he's not an elephant. Okay. I don't know why I got elephant, but I was like, because of his tail, trunk, I don't know. But you imagine Eeyore. Eeyore comes to church. He's like, oh, God, I lost my tail. But God's on the throne. No, come on, church. You got to make a little noise. You got to get a little. There's got to be a little woo in you. You know what I'm saying? You got to. Sometimes you got to stoke yourself. See, David. David was in a cave. David was in a wilderness. David was surrounded by sheep. You got to stoke yourself. See, you. There's not always going to be a, a time where there's going to be, be a big choir. You might be in a foxhole one day. You might be in a mud pit one day. You might be eighth day and eighth week in basic training and be all by yourself. And that's when you've got to say, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm turning to you. I'm going to surround myself with you. See, David surrounded himself with the Father. The next thing the Lord was like showing me is like, when you look at David, was David practiced, practiced for giants. In Psalm 1740, it says that David took a stone. Okay, he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. See, David had been practicing this. David was approached. He had a situation. See, when you go through life, you're going to take a step. Sometimes there might may not be anybody around like we were just talking about. Maybe you're trying to lead your family and you don't know what to do. You've got to take a step. Maybe you're trying to figure out how to get through this job situation. You've got to take a step. And see, so you're faced with this giant, this big thing. I don't, I don't know what your giant is this morning. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're watching online. There's a giant in your life. But see, that's the thing. Or maybe there's not. But see, David didn't wait for giants to practice for giants. See, you don't have to wait for a giant. I can, I can assure you, church, you're going to have a giant show up at one point or another in your life. You're going to have a mountain try to come and try to attack your life. I'm not prophesying that over you. I'm not preaching that over you. The, Jesus actually said that, that we live in a world and a world, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be trials. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Right, church? That's what it says. But see, we don't have to wait for that persecution to come to practice. See, David 
was out in the field. I just see this ruddy, good looking. I, I was thinking like Chuck Norris. You know what I'm saying? He's like out there just like whipping this, this slingshot. I think that's how you hold a slingshot. My parents knew better than to give me a weapon at a very young age. You know what I'm saying? So, but like, I just see this young man just like throwing this thing and all of a sudden just wow, hitting a tree. You know what I'm saying? And so he's hitting this tree. And then after a while, he gets tired of hitting the tree. So he says, oh, look, there's a squirrel. You know what I'm saying? That's how, that's how boys do it, you know? And then maybe if you had a sibling, you might pick on the sibling. But that's probably not a good idea. But, and so you just, wow, right? And so then one day, David's out in the field, the Bible says, and all of a sudden, a lion comes up. And I love this. This is, man, this is crazy. I didn't see this till I started to study this. This is 1 Samuel 17, 34, and 35. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when the lion and the bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it, struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose, I love this. The, so he struck, the, I didn't see this last part. He struck the lion, or he struck the bear, and then the bear came after him. You know what I'm saying? So like you, you'd be like, you smack somebody, they come right after you. You know what I'm saying? And he says, I caught it by its beard. I lo- Man, that's cool. I caught it. I, I read one translation that says, I caught it by its whiskers. I'm like, that's, that's baller. That's like Chuck Norris type stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like grabbing that thing and saying, watch this. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's so cool. Ah, man, that's crazy. I can't imagine grabbing a lion by its whiskers. You know? I was like, bro. Like, like Siegfried and Roy or something. That's crazy. But why did David do that? Because he had been practicing his presence. He had been practicing, he had been practicing for giants. He had been surrounding himself with him. So that when this, this uncircumcised Philistine come walking up, big old tall fella, David was like, bro, I'm going to whoop you like I whooped them tigers. I'm going to whoop you like I whooped that bear. Because my God is with me. I trust in God. God is going to put me over. See, he was, see, Practice, practice, is not, practice is not what puts us over. It's God that puts us over, church. God is what puts us over. The practice prepares us for God to move through us. Practice prepares us for what he has for us. I'm going to say that again. Practice prepares us for what he has for us. Okay? And David understood that. It's so powerful, so awesome. All right, so the last thing the Lord was like, oh, man, ask for help. You're like, ask for help? That's not like, that's not very, that's not like a woo. That's not a woo point. You know what I'm saying? Ask for help. I'm like, Lord, whoa. But I was thinking about this and praying about this, and I was reminded of David and how David seems like this great king. But then he makes a mistake, and he winds up falling into sin. He gets into sin really bad with Bathsheba. Y'all know the story. And David, the first issue was David was not where he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be at war, and he was not at war. You can study it out. That's a whole other message. All right. But David's not at war when he's supposed to be at war. That's a whole good point right there. Be where you're supposed to be. Be where you're supposed to be. Okay. Man. All right. But the second thing is just that David, when he made a mistake, why was he a God, a man after God's own heart? Was just that when David made that mistake, he asked for help. Soon as David was called out on it, David went to the Lord. Soon as David realized that he had done wrong, he, was, he went to the Lord. And I was thinking about 
the, the different people in the Bible. And I was reminded of Paul and Saul, Paul. And that Saul, when he had this amazing conversion on the road to Damascus, all right, and he went blind, and then the Lord uh, corrected his blindness after he appeared to him. It actually says in Galatians chapter 1 that Paul consulted with no one. God, Paul went to God. He asked for help. He, you know, imagine this. You got this guy who's been coming to church services on a regular basis, and right in the middle of church services, he would drag people out and he would kill them, okay? Now, how are you supposed to go to church after you've been, you have that kind of reputation, People at church are going to be like, bro, you're not allowed to come in here. We know what's going on. You're going to trick us. You're going to come in here. You're going to take somebody out, and you're going to kill them. We, we ain't stupid. You all see what I'm saying? But so what is, what's Paul going to do? So Paul asks for help. He turns to God. It says in Galatians that he went and he consulted with the Father. And I was, the Lord reminded me of a kind of an embarrassing uh, moment that happened last week. And it's, I guess it's, for some people it wouldn't be embarrassing. But for me, um, last week I was I was cutting the grass here at the church. Now, I don't know if you've ever lost something, but I, I lost my car keys. Now, you say, well, that's not a big deal. It's got to be somewhere like, you know, you lose it in your pair of pants. You just check every piece of clothing. It's not that bad, right? Well, I was, I was, I was here at the church working. It was a Friday night, and I started cutting the grass around the church. And you say, well, oh, that's, you know, just, just the grass right here in the front. Oh, that would be real. I mean, that's hard enough as it is. Right? Well, so I'm cutting the grass here, and then I'm cutting the grass in the field, and I lose my car keys in this seven acres. Okay? Now, you, you, losing the car keys in your house is tough. Losing your car keys in a pair of clothing is hard. But when you lose your car keys across seven acres, that's when you're like, oh, Lord, help me. Now, you say, well, oh, that's, you got a spare. Oh, man, that would be great, right? You know, that would have been awesome. But I did not have a spare. Uh, there's a lesson there. Um, I did not have a spare. And so I get through cutting the grass. I'm on the riding mower. I go to get back in the church, and I can't even get inside. My keys for the church are on the same keys that I lost. So then I, I come inside. I don't know what to do. I'm just trying to stay calm, praying, praying, praying. But the key point here is to ask for help. And say, so what do you do when, when, when you don't know what to do? See, we live in a society, or I hate to say that, but our society has almost put this pressure on us, one, as men, but just as human beings, that you have to have all the answers. But that's not true. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to know the one who does. You just have to know who to turn to. And sometimes it is turn to God, like Paul. Paul turned to the Father, and the Father showed him the steps to do to, to lead the church. But I, I think about like people like Gideon and, and, and the Lord led Gideon and Gideon conquers all these folks with a bunch of pots and pans. You go back and read it. It's, it's in the Bible in Judges chapter 7. Guys, he conquered a whole group of people with a pot and a pan and a flashlight. I mean, it wasn't a flashlight because they didn't have them. It was a candle, okay? You check this out, all right? Judges chapter 7, okay? It's crazy because he turned to God. He asked God for help. So I, I, I didn't know what to do. I was just trying to keep calm. Pastor Bruce is like, we're going to find him, Michael. We're going to find him. It's going to be okay. See, church, you're going to go through steps in life. You're going to have moments in life. And you, you'll have moments where you are definitely by yourself. Those are, those are you and God moments where it's going to build a relationship between you and God. But then there's other moments where God's going to surround you with the right people. If you've, 
If you've checked your circle, we say that at youth, check your circle. That means make sure you've got some good friends in your life. You need some good friends that worship with you. Okay? So I said, I don't know what to do. Pastor, we're going to find them. We're going to find them. See, you need to have someone in your life that, you know what I'm saying, got a little bit more seasoning. I'm not just talking about having a friend. I'm talking about having somebody who's got a little more seasoning in their hair. You know what I'm saying? I, I love you, but what I mean by that is somebody who, who, who knows a little more than you do, who can be that father figure that puts their hand on your shoulder and says, it's going to be okay. Here's what to do. I'm sitting here. I can't find my keys. I'm like, I can't even get back in my house. Pastor, I'm going to have to walk home. I'm like, that was literally the thought that was going through my head that I'm like, Pastor, I'm going to have to walk home. And then I, then I remember, maybe Pastor will take me home. And then I was like, oh, thank God Pastor's here. I hope he's going to take me home. And I was thinking, he hadn't offered to take me home yet. What's, oh, I'll buy him dinner. Um, pastor goes, Michael, here's what we're going to do. You take the church van home. We'll look for your keys in the morning. It's going to be okay. And see, church, sometimes that's all you need. You just need someone to say, hey, it's going to be okay. See, we're all going through different seasons, different, different moments. You may be graduating from high school. You may be graduating from college, whatever it may be. The first answer is you've got to surround yourself with him. We see that in King David. He surrounded himself with him. The next is we need to practice for giants because they're going to come. Mountains will come, but we're going to overcome them. And the last is don't ever be afraid to ask for help because God's the answer. The Bible says that he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Amen. Well, listen, I just want to say to the youth, I'm looking for Kenny somewhere. There you are. You are lifeline. Someone that trusts and relies on solely on him. You will and always will be that. Nobody can take that away from you. I said this uh, a few Wednesday nights ago. Remember, to wear your cape, to put on your cape, be the superhero. Don't be somebody else. Be, be who God's called you to be. Be, be, be. be Superman. Don't be Clark Kent. You don't need to be Clark Kent. You be Superman, okay? I love you guys. So excited, so proud of you. Thank you so much, church, for allowing me to come and share. Man, that was good. I don't even need to get up and say anything. It's so funny. When Michael and I, uh, I told him, I said, uh, I want you to share on graduation Sunday. And I said, the Lord's given me something to share, too. We really didn't talk about the things that we were going to say. He just said, he asked me a question, I gave him a general answer, but it's funny, a lot of the things that he said, you're going to see how they're going to interweave with each other, but God does that. He weaves together, so that was so good. So Father, thank you for articulation and clarity of speech, and um, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this message. You're so good. You know, we never get to a place in our life where we never need to know what the plan of God is. It doesn't matter where you are in your life as far as your age or the place or the position or whatever you have. We're always looking, what does God want me to do now? What does he want me to do now? Where does he want me to go? Where, where am I supposed to be at this place in my life? 
So the things that I'm going to share this morning, we all can use those things. The principles are just the truths and the Word of God that we can all take wherever we are. But specifically, I'm talking to you guys, and I thought about you when I was preparing this. So if everybody would, if you've got your Bible, digital or hard copy, let's look at Jeremiah 29, 11. You guys know this. You can quote it. But the NIV says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is what the expanded Bible says. I say this because I know what the plans are that I'm planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, for your peace and for your security. Not plans to hurt you, but I will give you hope and a good future. And the last one I want to read is a literal Hebrew translation. It says, for I am mindful of you. And I know the thoughts and the plans and the purposes that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans and purposes of intentional inventions that I have put into place for you to bring you peace and a future full of hope, not for destruction, but for a future full of my shalom peace. And if you've been around here long enough to know, shalom means more than just peace. It means more than um, just free from kind of trouble. In that word, peace is wrapped up wholeness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken. broken. It means health. It means prosperity, spirit, soul, and body. So it encompasses a lot. But I want to look at this verse, and a lot of times when we read this verse, we're concentrating on the word plan. God has a plan. I'm so excited about the plan. I wonder what the plan is. Oh, God's got plans. But really, in that word plan, okay, when you look it up in the Hebrew, this is what it means. I know the thoughts. Wrapped up in that word plans is the word thoughts. So God was saying to Jeremiah, I know the thoughts, the plans and the purposes and the intentions. So I think it's important that we understand God has thoughts for us. God has thoughts for you all. God thinks something about you. You know, you can, you can have plans for people. You can have plans for a group of people, but your thoughts are not so great. You can have plans for people, but your thoughts about them are not so great. Okay? But God has good thoughts and good plans for you. Because we are human and we make plans, we don't always think good thoughts about all the people that are involved because it may be a situation you've dealt with, right? So your thoughts are always not that's the greatest person in the world. I just can't wait to spend all these hours with him. Okay? So, anyone can have plans for someone, but not the greatest thoughts about them. But I want you to see that God has amazing thoughts about you. And it's important that you know that. Because when you know he has good thoughts, 
about you, then you know the plans are going to be good. When you know how much he loves you, when you know how much time he wants to spend with you, then you want to spend time with him, right? It's reciprocal. So the creator of the universe, God Almighty, has great thoughts about you. He has positive things to say about you. He has nothing negative or critical to say about you. And he only has good things planned for your life. He sees our potential. He views us in light of operating in and with all the abilities he's given us through his power. You see, we, we see ourselves when we look in the mirror. We see all the things that we lack, all the things that we wish we had. We see all the errors, all the corrections that are needed. But he doesn't look at us like that. He sees us in light of through the blood of Jesus. So he sees your capacities. He sees your abilities. Of course, he knows that we can't do it without him. But that's why he's waiting for us to ask. Okay? God isn't looking for the perfect person to fulfill his plans. There is no perfect person. There was one and his name is Jesus. But we're not perfect. He's not looking for the one who has it all together. I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody that has it together. Nobody does. He's not even looking with the one with all the intellectual knowledge or the one that's financially set for life. There are keys to unlocking and opening the doors for the plans that God has for you and for the rest of us. And they're altogether different than what the world would have to say. God views success completely different than the world. And his strategies are unlike man's strategies. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, when the, Michael referred to this, uh, when the Lord told Samuel to go to Jesse's house and anoint the next king because Saul had disobeyed and the anointing had left him, he brought all the sons before him. And Samuel immediately thought that Eliab, the oldest son, was the one in next in line for the king. But the Lord said no. And this is what verse 7 says. The Lord said to Samuel, Don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature, for I have rejected him. For I see not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but I look upon the heart. Isn't that great? You have a trustworthy God. He sees your heart. That's why we always have to check our heart and make sure that the motivation is right and I'm pure before him. So Lord, purify my heart. Take anything out that's wrong, any motivation, anything that I think about, any, I, just, I just repent right now. Just, just get it out. So in walking in this plan and purpose that God has for your life, there's a big part that we have to play. Or we could say it like this. We have a big responsibility in that to, for that to be fulfilled. Things don't just happen because God wants them to, right? You can read that verse and it's great. God has a good plan and a purpose for my life. But there's something I have to do, like Michael was saying, in order to walk in that specific plan. There is a course. There's a journey. There, there's a set course for your life. But there's things that you have to do that I have to do to walk in that course. There's a whole lot of things that want to take us off that course. 
right? All the distractions of the age like Mark chapter 4 talked about. But in the things we're going to look at are some keys that keep us on that, that course. God has wonderful thoughts and plans. He doesn't have any prerequisites on it, but he does have essential conditions. Now, let me define a prerequisite so you understand why I said it. A prerequisite is something that's required as a prior condition to take place or happen. So God doesn't um, expect you to have all this together and to be this and to look like this to experience what he has for you, okay? He does expect that we come to him, okay, and he does expect for us to, to focus on him, to leave the past behind and do the keys that we're going to talk about, those conditions in order to receive the promises. So here's what God's looking for. Those who are willing, those who are obedient, those who are humble. Michael said that. And those who trust him and take him at his face value. So basically, I'm saying what Michael said just in a different way. So I want to talk about keys to opening the doors before us. It's funny. We didn't talk about keys and we didn't talk about opening doors but we had the same, the same thing in heart. That's, that's the Holy Ghost. So when we walk out the plan of God for our lives, we can't let the past define us. This is one of the keys. We can't allow what we may have done, where we may have come from, or anything that's happened to us be our defining terms. Well, then what defines us? The Word of God. Who you are in Christ, that's the defining factor. You're a child of God. Punto basta, we say. End of story. No exception. No, there's nothing else. You're a child of God. That makes you worthy. That makes you valuable. That uh, establishes you. You're righteous. Hallelujah. You know, the Apostle Paul knew this. He wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verses uh, 12 through 14. I'm going to read this out of the Passion Version. He says, I admit that I haven't yet acquired absolute fullness of everything that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance. And I, I stopped, let's stop there, because what I see is I see Paul just running with abandon into the presence of God just without caution, he's just running to the Lord saying, here I am. I'm leaving everything behind and I'm giving all I have to you so that you can make something of it. But I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose for which Christ already laid hold of for me to make me his own. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. So guys, there are things in our life that we can't, we can't rely on our own strength. There's things that God has called us to do that you're not going to have the strength for. You're not going to have the knowledge for. You're not going to have the ability or capacity to do those things. You've got to rely on Him. So while you're young, and I know you have because I know what you've been taught, it never changes. 
You rely on him always. You cling to him always. You communicate with him always. He's got to be your best friend. So that when you say, Jesus, I'm feeling, I, I don't know what to do. He'll tell you what to do and he'll bring you the peace that keeps you in that moment. He's a, he's a keeping power. So he says, I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. That's very important. There are things in my past that if I had held on to, I would not be here today. There are things that happen in your past that you have to completely let go of. You can't drag them into your future and, and complete what God has for you. Some of you know my story, and so you know what I'm talking about. Others, you do not. But I'm just telling you, if I'd have hung on to what I had experienced in the past, I would not be here today. So no matter how bad it may be, how, how grotesque it may be, how debilitating it may be, how hurtful, how harmful, how tormenting, how whatever it may be, you have to leave it in the past. Because if you don't, then basically what we're doing is we're dragging a dead corpse with us. And then it begins to stink and it becomes too heavy and we can't accomplish all the things that God wants us to. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So basically what that verse says is you leave it all behind and you run forward. And the Lord opens up the path and he'll show you where to go one step at a time. It's not a mile at a time. It's just a step at a time. Did you know God doesn't define you by the things of your past? He doesn't recognize us by the great or not so great things that we've done. Have you ever had someone come up and go, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you in years. And they just recognize you and they just start talking to you and you're like, oh my God, who is this person? I, and you're racking your brain. I, I've seen them, but I can't place them. Has that ever happened to anybody here or just me? But guess what? That never happens with the Lord. We, when we're in his presence, we don't have to go, do you remember me? You know, I'm the one, you know, that has all the problems. We don't have to jog his memory. He knows who you are. He knows who you are so much that he gave you a DNA that's different from anybody. He gave you a fingerprint. All your digits have different prints. How amazing is that? That never ceases to just astound me. So he doesn't define us by our past. Why do we do ourselves that way? Our tendency is to allow past experiences to build barriers and create the choice pool, is what I called it, that we draw from. 
which creates a very small vision for our lives. And we shut down the ability to dream and think beyond what we can see or have experienced. We close ourselves in. So maybe nothing really bad has happened to you. But if something in the future does, you still can't let that define you. You can't. Developing a relationship with Jesus and spending time with him in his word and learning his voice, learning the voice of the Holy Spirit, being firmly planted and rock solid in who you are in Christ, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are righteous. These are keys to unlocking and walking in the plan of God for your life, no matter how old you are. Because there's things that come to us at every age in life that want to steal that righteousness from us. And we have to stay planted in who we are in Him. So I want to look at two contrasts here. I want to look at David and I want to look at Samson. And I want to look at the difference of these two guys who were both equally called, equally anointed, and equally appointed by God from birth and how they handled things differently. And what happened? So David, he was the youngest of his family. Michael had no idea I was really going to talk about this. This is so neat how it's all weaving together. He was probably frequently overlooked. He was not, you know, probably cover material maybe. He wasn't the strongest. He was left to do all the chores and the responsibilities that the other brothers scoffed out, and they belittled him. And if you, you can look at that and see how they made fun of him over in second, or 1 Samuel chapter 17 when he went to fight Goliath. However, David made the most of his situation. He developed a rock-solid, fail-proof relationship with the Almighty God. During his time as a shepherd, he was in training for the future without even knowing it. God was training him to be a king when he was a shepherd. Like, just like Michael said, all the things that God prepared him for, he was preparing him for his future. He trained to kill the giant when he was a shepherd. If he had never done the shepherd part, he wouldn't have killed the giant, most likely. You know, Jesus prepared for uh, Golgotha, at Gethsemane. Gethsemane was the place where he prayed and he laid down his will and he sweated great drops of blood and he did that and he conquered Golgotha where he was crucified but he conquered it at Gethsemane. So that's what David did. David conquered some things while he was a young boy that enabled him to make good decisions when he was a king. Now, he wasn't perfect. We, we know that. He was probably anointed to be king about 16 years old, but it wasn't until he was about 30 that he actually walked in that role. So that's a lot of years. That's about 16 years, 15 years. So how would that be? You know you're supposed to be king, You've been anointed, 
by the prophet, but yet you can't take your place. And there were many times that he could have taken it, but he didn't take it before it was time. He waited it out until God said, now's the appointed time. So it wasn't premature. Premature things are usually not good. They're weak. You don't want an Ishmael and you don't want anything that's premature. You want it to be in the fullness of time. So David learns the art of waiting while King Saul is hunting him down, trying to kill him. He learns to seek God for the answers before moving out in, on his own. He learns to express his joyful, thankful, expressive heart in public or in private. So God blesses him privately. That's what Michael was saying. He did these things in private so then God could elevate him and promote him publicly. God worshiped privately. So publicly, it was no big deal. It wasn't hard for him. David learns about the extreme forgiveness of God and the power of it. When he has an affair with Bathsheba, and then he has her husband placed on the front lines so that he will, you know, ultimately perish because of the adultery that he had committed. But here's the thing. Here's the saving grace about David. His heart would always remained pure before God because he, even though he sinned, he erred. He made bad choices. He stayed pure before the Lord. He constantly talked to the Lord. He repented. He stayed humble before him. His heart was after God. It wasn't that God, David was special. And he, he was a man after God's heart. Like he was special to God like, no, like nobody else is. No, we're all the same. God has no favorites. The thing that, that set David apart was he was after the heart of God. He was running after the heart of God. That's what we have to do. That's what you guys constantly have to do. It's a never-ending thing. We will be doing this until the day that Jesus returns or we go to be with him however. That's what sets us apart. If you read the Psalms, you can see David's heart in all the ones that he wrote. And he reigned and he, he died about age 70. He reigned for, I don't know, 30, 40 years, but he died at the age of 70. Now, in contrast, I want to look at Samson. Samson was very young when the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him. You can see that in Judges chapter 13. And I know that I'm hitting the high spots here, but I don't, I don't have a lot of time. But he was somewhat prideful due to his strength and his possible good looks. He kind of had a streak of rebellion operating in him because he didn't obey the teaching and training of his mother to stay away from alcohol, cutting his hair, or touching anything that was dead. He, had, he took a Nazarite vow which said you can't drink alcohol, you can't touch anything dead, and you can't cut your hair. But he broke that rule. and his, He was instilled uh, from birth with this because the Lord told his mother he's called he's set apart so he gets older and he kills a lion on the way to see his girlfriend which is also forbidden because she's a Philistine he's like I like that girl because she is one hot mess I like her 
He didn't even consider, he didn't even care that she was a Philistine. It was forbidden for the Hebrew people to mix with all these other heathens and pagans. But he was like, he was more impressed with the way she looked. How many times has that happened to us? We're impressed with the way things look, so okay, let's go for that. And I'm not talking men, women. I'm just talking, I like that, so I'm going to get it. I've done that. Oh, I like that. That's good. That will fit just right. You buy it, and it don't fit. You can't take it back. So I guess I went shopping for somebody else. The ladies are with me. Y'all know what I'm saying. We bought an Ishmael. We shouldn't have bought it. But it looked good to our eyes, right? So then on his way, so that was one visit. Then he goes back to visit her to ask her to marry him. And he sees the carcass of the lion and he's hungry and he dips down into the carcass of the dead lion and scoops up some honey. Okay, well, boom. Another broken part of the vow. He touches something dead. He doesn't care. When you continually disobey the Lord, it hardens your heart. And it, I think it blocks your ears so that you don't hear his voice and you don't sense his presence. So that's why ob obedience should be quick. We used to say this to Elizabeth when she was little. Delayed obedience is disobedience. She would say, well, I'm, I, I'm going to. Have you, have you done this that mommy has said? I'm going to. No, delayed obedience is disobedience. It should be now. It should be immediately. And you know, when you teach and train your children that as, the, as young, as babes, then it doesn't become so foreign to us when we become adults obeying our Heavenly Father. We want to do it immediately. Because remember, there are opportunities that come once. And you don't want to miss it. Now he's engaged to this ungodly woman who manipulates and betrays him. And then she goes and she marries his best friend. So now he's, woe is me. My heart is broken. So here we have a broken man. He gets so angry, he burns down the Philistine grain fields. Then there's a battle. He kills a whole bunch of them. And then he's afraid and he goes and hides in a cave. Then he gets involved with Delilah, who's paid by the Philistine government to find out where his strength comes from because they were ready to take this guy out. So after all her, her manipulation, she finally break, he finally breaks down and he tells her the secret. You guys know this account. So Delilah shaves Samson's hair. They, her, they capture him. They poke his eyes out. Now he can't see physically or spiritually. But while he's in captivity, his hair begins to grow out and he asks the Lord for one last hoorah. And you know what happened. He kills more Philistines at the time of his death than he did in his whole life. But the point is, you know, you know how old he was when he died? 33. He was 33. So because of all the disobedience, he really didn't live a full long life, I, 
I think, like God intended for him to. He was a judge. God had intended for him to live a long life to be one of the judges of Israel, but he disobeyed. So do you see the contrast here? It doesn't seem and sound so bad, but when his life ended at 33 and you compared David to 70, I mean, 70 is young too, but still there's, quite, there's 40 years almost difference there. But the most gracious thing about God is he doesn't even consider him a failure because you can, I want to read this to you in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 and through 34. And this is passion. And what more could I say to convince you? For there's not enough time to tell you of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms and established true justice. Their faith fastened onto their promises and pulled them into reality. So that's what our faith has to do. Our faith and trust in God takes hold of those promises and you pull them into reality. And you can do that by developing a relationship with Jesus. Because that's what's going to establish your life. That's what's going to ground your life. That's when it's going to keep you from being shaken and destroyed in the days that we're living in is your, your relationship. How grounded is it? How rooted is it? You know, winds are going to come. Trouble's going to come. Just like Michael said, the giants are going to come. I'm not a, we're not bad prophets. We're not confessing anything bad. We live on a cursed earth and stuff happens. It's called life. Life doesn't always go like we want it. But this I will tell you, I can control that it doesn't control me. I let it control me or I control it. I control the outcome. I can control my outlook. And I do that with what the Word says, right? If I believe that I can have victory over every circumstance because what God's Word says. Are you with me? So, David pursued a relationship after God. You and I have to pursue. That's a big word, pursue. That means we have to run after. It doesn't just come upon us. I have to pursue him. I have to pursue that character of Christ. We have to retrain ourselves on how to think and act and respond according to God's word. And it's interesting that Michael said this, but in my notes, I wrote, you have to learn to stand alone. If you don't learn to stand alone, you'll never stand at all because there will be times in your life where you're standing alone because there won't be anybody there that understands what you are going through. There might not be anybody where you are that has the same faith as you do. So what are you going to do? 
Are you going to be a basket case or you're just going to cry out to the Lord? If you read the Psalms, there were so many times where David was by himself and he cried and the Lord answered. He called and the Lord answered. He would talk about what he felt, but then he would praise the Lord and he was strengthened. He would be honest and say, this is what I'm thinking this is what it seems like. This is what it feels like. But I will praise you, yet I will praise you. Yet I will be delivered. Yet I'm looking to you as my God. Yet I am looking to you as my Savior. Because I know how much you love me. So you have to have, you got to be honest and you have to say things. But then you can't let that be where it stops. You've got to acknowledge God over all that. Remember, faith doesn't deny. Faith just says, okay, here's the circumstance, but I'm putting my faith and the circumstances are going to change. My faith will change those circumstances. So your trust has to be in Christ alone above all things. We have to be quick to obey what the Lord tells us to do and quick to repent. And we have to say no to the temptations from the world around us. You can't straddle the fence. You know what happens when you straddle the fence? A wooden fence, what happens? You get stuck. You get a splinter. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Or one foot in a Bible study and one foot in the world. Well, I'm going to Bible study. Well, I'm reading the world, but I'm going to go party and I'm going to get drunk. That's a double-minded man. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I'm going to smoke a little weed and, you know, it's a weekend and, and I'm going to just, you know, have a little party. And, and, and no. I mean, you can if you want to. But you know what that stuff does? That stuff pushes the Holy Spirit out of your life and brings the wrong spirit in. And then, then you're hearing some voices, all right, but it's not of the Holy Spirit. So there's some things that you've you got to say no to, a hard and fast no. You cannot play games with the world, guys. I've been there. I've tried it. It doesn't work. It leaves you in a mess. David made a lot of mistakes, so I'm getting ready to close. And he made some poor choices. But one thing about David's character that was his saving grace is he was quick to repent and quick to make things right. He developed a relationship with God at a very early age. He understood righteousness. And you know, Jesus hadn't even died then, but because he spent so much time with the Lord, the Lord gave him this understanding of his righteousness, of his right standing with him. So I want to read some verses to you, so write these down because they're very important, especially the graduates. These are going to be some key scriptures for you to hang on to. 1 Timothy 6, 11. But as for you, Timothy, this was Paul writing to Timothy, flee from all these things. And you can read the verses above and see what he's talking about fleeing from, but basically things of the world. 
flee from all these things, run from all these things, and instead aim at and pursue righteousness, which is right standing with God and true goodness and godliness, which is the loving reverence of God and being Christ-like. Pursue faith, pursue love, and steadfast patience and gentleness of heart. This is 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, the passion. Run as fast as you can from all the ambitions and the things of youth and chase after all that is pure. Whatever builds up your faith and deepens your love must become your holy pursuit and live in peace with all those who worship the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, where you're going, and this, this has to do with this all, we have encounters with people that are ungodly. You can deal with the ungodly and still be godly. It's possible. There are times that you may have to say no, but God will honor you and God will bless you for that and his favor will be upon you. We've all got testimonies of that, I'm sure. But when we say no to sin, God will bless us, especially when, it's, when we're put in a, in a difficult position, but you say no, God will back you up. If you don't say no to sin, God may not have your back. He's not obligated to have your back, really, when you are willingly participating in something that's wicked or wrong. I know that's harsh, but we have to speak truths so that we can walk in the truth. Okay? And I say it with deep love. I do. Um... This is 2 Timothy 2.19. The Lord recognizes those who are truly His, and everyone who worships the name of the Lord Jesus Christ must forsake wickedness. And this is Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do and everywhere you go. God's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. And the last one, 2 Timothy 2.4. For every soldier called to active duty must divorce himself from the distractions of the world so he may fully satisfy the one who chose him. You know, William's going into the military, and in the time of boot camp, he has to separate himself from his family. There's either no communication or very limited communication. So he's, they, are, they are taking him and they're setting him apart for a special training to instill and teach and train certain things. And he's not going to be distracted with the family and with everything that's going on with the family. And isn't it interesting that God likens those things in the word for us? He wants us to separate ourselves from anything that would distract from focusing on him. And you might say, well, How in the world am I supposed to operate in the world with all the distractions? 
and communicate with the Lord. It's possible. Jesus did it. He just got away. There were times that he just got away and he communed with the Father. He just talked with his Father. And then he dealt with the disciples. And that empowered him to do that. It's the same way with us. And in those times when we're with him, he gives us the wisdom and the strength and the knowledge to deal with the world, to deal with those at work, to deal with family members that are difficult, just with life in general. God is good and he has a good plan for every one of us, no matter how old we are. That never stops. Isn't that wonderful? You know, people like to talk about age, but I want to encourage you. God is the oldest of us all. He's called the Ancient of Days. No one's ever called you the Ancient of Days. So we never get to a place where we're set on a shelf because, you know, there's just nothing left for you to do. No. God always has something for us, no matter what the age, no matter where you are in life, there's something that God wants you to do. Whether you're graduating from high school or college, or you're sitting in here and in, you're in the mature years, there's still a plan and purpose God wants you to fulfill.